You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome back to the Team Guru Podcast. It's always great to have your company. My name's David Frizzell and today we're going to chat about the power of stories. Mike Adams has had a long career in sales and a successful one too. And that means that he has, over time, become an expert in building rapport with people. And Mike thinks that the key to building rapport, which allows us to influence and persuade, comes from the stories we tell and the way we tell them. Imagine the power to influence and persuade. It's a superpower. Here's Mike to tell you how. Mike Adams, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. David, it's a delight to be here. Nice to have you, Mike. Look, really looking forward to our conversation. And as I just joked with you before we hit record, I'm really looking forward to you telling some stories. And I've said it before to someone else, Sean Callahan, who you reference in your book, actually. I said it to him when I spoke to him, well, almost three years ago. There's a bit of pressure, isn't there? When you write a book about storytelling, you better be good at telling stories. So I'm sure you're fabulous, but we're going to find out over the course of the next half hour or so. Well, it's certainly not a problem for Sean, I can tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Now, Mike, there's, there's so much to this storytelling stuff. There's structure and there's timing. But what I really want to start with is purpose and and the reason that people should tell stories. Look, I think we actually all know the answer to that because I think as part of an audience, we all, like Sean says, and I hate to keep quoting Sean, I'll, I'll stop doing that now. But as Sean says, when someone starts telling a story, and we all know the cues that when someone started telling a story, we literally physically and metaphorically lean forward in our chair. We're so engaged and we're so interested And it's such a lovely contrast to what we normally get when someone stands up in front of us with a PowerPoint presentation and and gives us their best. So tell me, apart from that, why are stories so important and why are people so reluctant to tell them? Why can I sit through a full forum, a full day's forum and, and not really hear anyone tell a fantastic story? Yeah, that's, I mean, my background is as, as an engineer. I don't know if you know that, David. So for me, it's it, it's not good enough to say, you know, we always, we learned stories as children or our oral history of storytelling is what makes us human. Those things are true. But if you really want to understand why stories are so powerful, we need to understand the largest part of our brain, the, the human neocortex or the mammalian neocortex. It's about the size of two fists put together and it's 80% of your brain volume and it's doing one thing and that thing is memory sequence prediction. So it's memorizing patterns in our environment, our external environment and our internal body environment and whatever patterns repeat, we learn them, we memorize the repetition so that we can predict what's going to happen next and your brain was predicting the word next before I said it. And that's what our brains do. We predict how we're going to feel. We predict how we're going to move, what we're going to see, what we're going to hear. All of our eight sensory groups, most people think we have five, but we have eight. All of those sensory groups, we're predicting in real time, all the time. Get it right. We don't know we're doing it, 
because our brain does such a good job of predicting that we mostly correctly predict and it just happens. So you can spot it in some funny situations. You know that feeling you get when you go to an escalator and it happens to be switched off and you get that awful falling feeling. Well, that's that's your your eyes were taking in the the, yeah. the groove tracks of the escalator and the rubber handles, and you were predicting how to move your limbs to go up the escalator, and then suddenly the prediction was wrong, and suddenly you're paying absolute attention. You're trying to stop your foot self fall over, right? Well, that's so. That's the first definition of a story. It has to be a sequence of related events, but it also has to be unpredictable. And when something's unpredictable. Our neocortex is paying attention to try to predict what's going to happen next. And that's the reason we're so captivated by stories. Now, the reason Mm. we maybe Mm. don't tell them in business, because we tell them all the time in our social lives, the reason we maybe don't tell them in business is that people consider them to be unbusinesslike, if you like, and you just, just stick to the facts and- the problem with that is all of us are human and we all have that sequence, unpredictable seeking brain. And if we don't appreciate that, we'd run the risk of just losing the attention of our audience all the time. So, you know, the challenge with storytelling is to put into the story the facts that you would like to deliver so that they're delivered in the way that we consume them best. So, stories are the way that we consume all the information, all our learning. And we actually even plan and think in stories. So they're absolutely fundamental to the way our minds work. So given- uh, It's not very well known, actually, <laughs> that, that little thing I do. So given all that, and, and it's so convincing, and when you talk about a story needing to be a sequence of unrelated of, of of related related events, events yes. but, but unpredictable, have a twist in them. Correct. Uh, I, that, that really rings true and reminds me, in fact, of one of the stories that you told in your book, the swimming story, which was fabulous. That yes. If all of that is so well known and, and so true and no one is listening to this arguing with that, again, I, I kind of come back to why why is it that we can sit through a full day of presentations and- and not hear anyone do it really well is that are we not very good at it? Is there a higher threshold? If we step outside of the bounds of a PowerPoint presentation with facts and figures, are we kind of judged on a higher level if we dare to tell a story? Therefore, we're nervous that we've just got to get it right. I don't think so. I think that the very best presenters and leaders tell stories all the time. I think we just don't notice. We know we're engaged and we know that we're enjoying it and we're getting it, but we just haven't recognized that they're using a story format. So that's, if you like, also a strength of becoming a good storyteller is you're actually using something that most people don't even notice you're doing it, but it has this huge power, you know? So yeah, I think people really appreciate it when you take the trouble, but you know, there are actually five crucial elements to a story, which I should probably outline for your readers. The the first I already said, it has to be a sequence of related events. So this, this, then that, then that, then that. Otherwise, it's not a story. It has to be predictable or surprising in some way. Otherwise, it's a boring story. It should start the right way. If it doesn't start with a time and a place, preferably both, People can miss the fact that you're telling a story. So time and place are 
markers that tell your audience that a true story is starting. If we say once upon a time, you know that a, a fairy tale is starting. If I say in 1996, when I was working in Stavanger in Norway, you know a true story is coming. And so people just relax and pay attention. And then it has to resolve to make a business point. If it doesn't make a business point, then it is potentially time-wasting. And the, the more important your audience, the more senior the management, the more likely you, you will be dismissed as time-wasting if you don't make a relevant business point with your business story. So th those are the elements. If you get all of that right, you have a very good chance of, of making a good point and getting your message across in a, in a very compelling way. So how long have you got? You say that he's got to make a good business point, otherwise you'll be seen as a time waster. Is there a magic time or does it depend on how well you're telling your story, how engaged the audience is? What's the, what's the formula there? The formula is as short as it can be and still make your point. And somewhere between a minute and three minutes, and I think the average is about two minutes. We're, we're really talking about anecdotes, which is the name of Sean's company, by the way. So that, that's, I think that's a good way to think of them. They're not master productions. It's not Hollywood. It's not a novel. It's a, a little narrative that makes a point. And that's it. So are we generous listeners? I'm, I'm kind of guessing that the answer is yes. I, I, I guess generally we want to hear stories. And once we hear those markers, whether we realize it or not, we're about to hear a story. I think I think we're pretty generous. I think we want to hear them. I think we're willing to be entertained and we like the difference of it. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. There's a certain type of person that is a little bit of a story bore. You can overtell stories. And what I try to make the point in my book is for salespeople in particular, one of the fundamental reasons to tell a story is to be able to ask for, for a story back. So if I tell you my personal story, and I will tell it briefly in a minute, I would tell it in a business context, and I would tell it first in a first meeting. I would just tell them a little bit about myself, which would be, you know, how did I get into consulting? Why am I doing what I do? And I would say, well, enough about me. What about what about you, David? Why, why do you do podcasts? Mm. What What is it about? What led you there? And what I'm doing in that story exchange is I'm I'm making a a much deeper connection than we normally do in a business meeting. Normally, we say our job title and and that's kind of it. But if we can share stories in three or four minutes at the beginning of a meeting, we know each other a lot better than if we don't. And that, that's very important for salespeople because salespeople come into these engagements not really trusted very much because we, you know, we wear the baggage of past poor selling practice. And so anything that can connect us in a way that we're more liked and we like them, the client, and we get across our authority and why they should, why we can help and why they should listen. Anything that can do that is so important for salespeople. And it's a real missing thing for salespeople to be able to do that. Whether it's a half-day energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization. To be a good storyteller, is there a bit of a humility hump that we've got to get over? When you talked about telling your story at first in a meeting, I like that idea. I'd love to hear your story. And if you and I were to sit down and have a coffee 
in a business setting, I would enjoy that. But I would be really reluctant to do that myself naturally because I kind of think, who am I to tell my story? Why does this guy care about me? Let's just talk turkey. What does he want out of me or what do I want out of him? He doesn't want to hear where I am. I, I get the value of it so you understand why I do what I do and who I am as a person and who you're dealing with. But there feels like this little inherent hump that I would need to get over. Yeah. And, w- and what you say is it's true that many people think that, but it's not true because you what you said right at the beginning is you would like to hear my story. And that's true of everyone. We would like to hear everyone's story. And, and we learn that when I do story workshops and we get to hear individually a whole group of stories. It's never happened to me that everyone wasn't interested in every story. I never had an uninteresting person ever in many story workshops. So, so it's something that, you know, we don't like to hear our own voice on, uh, on a video yeah. or in an audio. We just feel that, you know, but it's the same thing. But, but actually the other person does want to hear that. So what is? So let me tell you how an engineer became. Yeah, I was going to say, what is your story, Mike? How uh, through your career, and it sounds like a great deal of variety in your career. How did you learn at this point where you're writing a a book about stories and consulting on the power of stories? What what landed you here? Yeah, well, I actually grew up in Tasmania and I studied to be an electrical and mechanical engineer, and I had the dream first job. I worked on oil rigs for a company called Schlumberger. We used to run electronic surveys and oil wells. And I did that for six years. And then I went into the computer center in London. I worked all over the world on oil rigs. And in the computer center in London, I was, I was working on software for classifying rocks for oil and gas companies. And uh, I got this sort of call from my boss to have this great career opportunity, which if you've worked in big corporations, you'll understand as code for a job nobody else wants to do. And it was to move to Norway, which is great. And be a salesperson, which I didn't want to do. But I didn't say I didn't want to be a salesperson. I said, my wife is eight months pregnant, so we can't go. And, and then I went home and she <laughs> gotcha. said, no, I want to go. <laughs> so um, so we, we actually we flew to uh, Stavanger in Norway with, on the last day that she could fly. And I became a salesperson. I was on the early model phone 1996 in Norway while we were having our second son. And you know- uh, yeah, being a not very good salesperson because I was very technical, but I, I didn't have the conversation skills at all. But I happened to land the biggest deal in our division, in our software division worldwide by complete fluke. And truly, it was an accident. And I tell in the, I tell in the book like how much of an accident that was. But, but that gave me the confidence to think that I could be a salesperson. And, I, and I, I kept selling and I ended up running sales teams throughout Europe, in Russia. And then when we came back to Australia, I changed industry because there was no oil and gas industry in, in Melbourne where we chose to, to settle. And after I figured that trick, how to change industry, and I started to figure out that I needed certain stories to be able to change industry because you really know nothing. You absolutely know nothing when you change to a new industry. I did that four more times. I changed industry four more times. This now sales consulting is really my six, six complete industry change. And through that time as an engineer trying to learn what works and, and being really careful about that, I just noticed what the stories do and what types of stories make an impact. And four years ago, I started my consulting business. And, and what I do is, is help companies find 
and hone their best stories. And then I teach the salespeople how to tell those stories and how to collect more stories. And it makes a, a massive difference. It's one of the very few things that you can teach salespeople that doesn't make them worse. Because, uh, you know, if you teach them, if you teach them, for example, you should ask this question and that question, what they do is they forget to listen to the client and they're worse for a while until they assimilate that. But if you teach them, just tell the story and then ask for a story, then things go better for them pretty much straight away. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's why I do what I do. And that's what I love to do is, is help people find stories. So how do you go about, this is the million dollar question, how do you go about teaching someone to be a good storyteller? How do you approach that when you're dealing with a new client? Generally what I do, I, the process I usually follow, it varies a little bit from client to client, is I help them with their company story first. Most companies don't have a narrative for their company story. They have some facts about their company and their facts sound usually exactly the same as the, their competitors' facts. And so their clients don't listen. So if I, if I can find the, the narrative of the company story and tell it in a way that also projects into the future, that's kind of a combination of your strategy story and your company story. And with that story, we usually get the sales team together or very often the marketing as well or the entire leadership team together. And we spend a day learning what stories really are and extracting from the group stories. They're usually quite raw. They're usually too long and maybe they don't quite make a good point. But if we tell 20 or 30 stories in a day, we'll get five or six good ones. And I, I video them with my iPhone on the spot and we put them on the, in a story library. We start making a story library on the spot. And it's, that day is um, it's incredibly engaging. They, they love it and, and they're amazed at all the stories that are out there that they didn't know about. So that's the first thing is just recognition and seeing that there's all these stories out there that you didn't notice. Very often, I always find, David, that there are good storytellers. Every successful company has one, but they're quite often unconsciously good. They don't know they're doing it. Very often, the founder, in fact, it's rare to find one or both of the founders of companies are not good storytellers. It's almost, I would say, a prerequisite to starting a company. And also, the very best salespeople do it, but they often do it without knowing that they're doing it, or they don't, they're not conscious of how they do it. So getting those people to tell stories is, is critical for the rest of the team because the rest of the team, are, they're just amazed when they hear them. They, they hadn't heard them before, right? So that's how I start. And then- So what is it when you, you say you're in, you're in a workshop and there are just some, some people who could be in any position who are good storytellers? And as you say, founders are often good storytellers. I'm interested to know why that is. But firstly, what do you hear? What pricks your ears up and says, okay, that's one over there, she's one, and he's one? What are you looking for? What are you listening for? Well, I'm listening for the things I mentioned right at the beginning of this podcast. Is it a sequence of events? Am I mm. hanging on it because it's unpredictable? Did he start properly with a time and a place? And is he making a point? And if those things are coming out, I'm going, okay, here's someone that knows what they're doing. Well, maybe they don't. Maybe they don't know they know what they're doing, but they're doing it. And yeah, and people are hanging on their words. You can tell. So because I'm I'm sensitive to it, that's what I listen for. Do you teach them this first, or do you get them to have a go without any guidance and then work from that? 
Now, I teach a little bit of structure first, but almost when we get back together and start telling stories, I like to get the group to coach each other. So usually the, by that stage, they'll be able to coach, oh, you know, you didn't quite start yeah. that with a time and a place or, you you know, that we've all heard that story so many times we know it or, you know, that kind of thing. So people will coach themselves once they've got the elements. So, mate, when I was reading your book and I, I came across the structure, it reminded me of my days as a high school English teacher. That's how I started my career. The structure of a good story isn't rocket science, is it? There's a really basic structure around the setting a complication. So you, you, you're creating the setting. You're telling us what's normal, what's going on, so we can picture it, we can be engaged in it. Then along comes a complication. Then there's a turning point and a resolution. Correct. Are all good stories part of that formula? Is, it, is that the way it's got to be? And why does that formula work? No, that, that isn't the way it has to be. But that's how 90% of short anecdotes are structured. I tell a story in there from Ernest Hemingway. I don't I don't know if this is a true story or not. I couldn't validate it, but there's a there's a story that um, Ernest Hemingway had a bet. He bet for ten dollars that he could tell a story in six words. And the story is baby shoes for sale, never worn. Now that story doesn't resolve. What happens is with that story is your mind goes off on all different tangents trying to figure out how that story should end. And there's some genius in that, right? There's genius in the structure of that. He's getting us to create our story. And in fact, we do that even with the four-part story. We create the story ourselves in our mind. There are also longer structures. And the success story format that I teach is a six-part structure. And I might give you an example of a success story and then give you the six, just come back to it and give you the six parts. So um, I'll tell you a story. And normally we don't say I'll tell a story. So we're talking about storytelling, but one of the, one of the traps is to use that word story at the beginning. So I'll tell you about one of my first clients. So Jeff started a financial advisory service with his brother. His brother was CEO and he was the chief operating officer and they built the service service up into about a 30-person company. And Jeff had an idea that they should go after higher net worth people. And they wanted to target people who had a net worth of sort of 10 to $20 million. And to do that, they felt they needed to develop some special software. And, and Jeff, not his real name, by the way. So Jeff said about, he spent a couple of years, spent a lot of money, and his brother was pretty nervous about the expense and uh, finally got it working. But then he couldn't sell he couldn't sell the service. And he was under quite a bit of pressure from his brother to do that. And through my business partner, I got to meet Jeff and he asked me to evaluate his sales technique. And I put him through a process that I have and and he scored worse than anyone I've ever tested. In fact, his technique was to just talk all the time and to stalk his clients with information about their business that he'd somehow found out about them. And my, my advice to him was, look, I think you should just hire a salesperson. You know, I'll help you. And, and his answer was, well, look, Mike, I'll, I'll do that, but I have to know how to do it myself first. So I said, well, okay, well, it's probably going to take four or five months. I'll teach you. And I put him through a program. He was a brilliant student, I have to say. He really wanted to learn. And gradually, we worked out how to 
get him to get the trust of these people, these high net worth individuals, people with comp. His first ask for these people was, I need to see all of your personal and business financial information so I can tell you how much money I can save, right? This is not an easy, not an easy sale, right? But he was really getting there and, and he's starting to make fantastic progress. And then he had a huge breakup with his brother to the point that they, they were threatening each other with legal action. And this took six months out of his business. And eventually, they agreed to split their ways. And Jeff became the CEO, took over the business entirely. And he's going brilliantly. He's, he's in control. His brother had been doing the selling. He now knows how to do the selling. He's confident. And he's, he's doing the job. So that's a success story. And there are six parts which I would like to highlight now. So I started with Jeff. The first event is is your client, your successful client in their natural situation. And then they hit a problem. They hit a snag, right? That's the second part. So Jeff needed to sell to these high net worth in- individuals and he'd invested a lot of money and he couldn't sell. Third event, they meet a guide. That was me. That was our company. But we're not the hero. We're just the guide. The guide gives him a plan. So I gave him a training program. I set him up with a plan on how to succeed. And then he avoids failure. Now, in my story, I talked about potential enormous failure with the split up with his brother, right? But there are other ways to avoid failure. He might not follow the plan or he might fail at the plan in some way and you have to bring him back to succeed. And then the sixth step is he succeeds. When you tell that story that way to someone who is a potential client, let's say, who is like Jeff, because you want to tell the successful story about someone who is like your potential client. So they identify with the hero of your story, which is not you, it's your client. That's a very compelling story because what you're actually doing is you're you're letting your future client experience what it's like to be one of your clients. They can have, they're absolutely feel what it feels like. They can visualize and they can feel what it's like to be one of your clients. And that is a fantastic thing that lowers the risk for them and it makes them like the whole process and they get it. Now, if you tell instead the classic three-part case study, so a lot of people think a success story is a case study and it's not. So the case study usually goes like this and marketing marketing departments do this because they have constraints. They're worried about talking about their clients' in personal details, and they're worried about naming them. But salespeople can just say, look, let me tell you about a client like you. I'll call him Jeff. The three-part case study goes, here is this situation for anonymous client A. Here is what we did. Here's how great it is now. Aren't we wonderful? And you see, correct, you're making the vendor, the supplier, the hero. That story doesn't resonate. No, well, you know, it's kind of interesting, but they all sound the same and your client doesn't experience it that way. So so that's a six-part structure. All the other stories of the seven stories are four-part structures. And I'll briefly say what they are. We don't have time to go through all of them, but I'll just tell you what they are. So I use a, a fishing analogy. So that I, I consider that a salesperson or a business person who wants to win business has three fundamental problems. The first problem is I've got to connect with potential buyers. That's the hook. I have to hook, and I'm using my story as the hook. 
And there are three stories there. There's the company story that I already spoke about. There's your personal story that says why you do what you do and that you're an authority and also allows you to ask for their story because that gets the connection. And then there's the story about important people in your company that your future client will probably meet and needs to know about, and you can position them by telling their story. And that's really important for salespeople because, as I said, salespeople are often not that well appreciated in the different roles. Your client might appreciate better the technical salesperson or the delivery person, and you can tell their story. And in doing so, you will actually improve your own status with the client as well. They know you've got a team and you're working with a team of solid people. So those are the three stories that connect, that hook. Then we need to differentiate the two stories that win mind share and help your client to change are the success story that I just told and the insight story. The insight story is the story that teaches your client about something that you know about their business that they don't quite appreciate, which is a sensitive thing if you think about it, because all your clients think they know their business very well, certainly much better than you do. And so how are you going to get across to them that they're missing something? There's a high potential for pushback. But if you tell them how you learned that thing, I call it the researcher's story. How did you research and find out that thing? Tell me about your eureka moment where you found out that thing. And if we have time, I'll give you a quick example of this story type because it's a really important one, I think. So one of the stories I tell in Seven Stories is the story of um, Barry Marshall and Robin Warren. They were two Perth-based medical researchers. And in the early 1980s, they had a hypothesis about the cause of stomach cancer. And their view was that it was caused by a particular bacteria, H. pylori. But when they wrote papers about that, they were rejected. In fact, they couldn't get published because the prevailing view was that stomach ulcers were caused by stress and bacteria can't survive in the highly acidic environment of the stomach. And so they were stuck with their insight. And in frustration, Barry Marshall did gave himself a, an endoscopy of his own stomach, prepared a, a potion of bacteria from an infected patient, drank it, gave himself stomach ulcers, and then cured himself with the antibacterium. Now, that paper was was read and published, and uh, Marshall and Warren won the Nobel Prize for Medicine in 2004 for that work. It's a fabulous story, and it also highlights the problem of insight. If you're an entrepreneurial company and you have this fantastic new idea, your problem is everyone is already just doing the business they already know how to do, right? They think they know what they're doing. They're not accepting your insight, so you have to teach them. You have to teach them how you learnt it. Or in Barry and Marshall's case, you have to demonstrate how you learnt it. And that's the researcher's story. So it's the, here's the problem I was working on in my research department. Here's how we had these trials and errors and we had all these problems and no one agreed, no one would listen. And bang, the eureka moment, we got them to understand. And now this is what it means for you, Mr. Customer. If you teach your clients insight in that way, they'll listen and they'll understand and they won't push back. And it's a really important story for entrepreneurs. 
Now, what about the last type? So you've talked about the hook and the the fight. What about the land part of the stories? Yeah, the final problem salespeople have is is closing the deal. And the big the bigger the deal, the harder it is to close. And I've spent most of my career on on very large deals. And you know, the whole sale can take months and months. And in fact, the decision process can take months and months. And the salesperson and the vendor organization is locked out of that process. Typically, if it's a big deal, it's tender, and you don't even know what's going on. But there are stories that can help. And the first one is I call the value story. And it's the story that teaches your future client how your company will behave, and it lowers their risk. And I'll I'll give you an example from Siemens. So I worked for Siemens for seven years, big German multinational company. And when I joined them from the oil and gas industry, I I really couldn't figure out how they sold anything because, frankly, um, they were good at engineering, but they had no marketing that I could tell, and their sales team seemed (laughs) quite ad hoc. And it wasn't until I started to notice some of their stories that that I, it twigged. And I'll give you a personal example. I happened to be with our country CEO, and um, he took a phone call that that sounded quite serious. And at the end of it, he told me that Siemens had been contracted to supply the transformers, the inverter transformers for the Bass Link, the big electricity cable that goes under Bass Strait from connects Tasmania and Australia. 400 kilometers under the ocean. And the the ship that was bringing these transformers from Germany to Australia hit a storm in the Southern Ocean, uh, broke its rudder, and all six transformers were smashed beyond repair. And Albert was fielding calls from the press and from the Victorian state government and the Tasmanian government, and he was on the television, and and uh, it was a big deal. And he told me that the, the Siemens board had not set up a litigation exercise to litigate the ship or any of that stuff. They just want, went into how do we build six new transformers as quickly as possible. And they actually hit the delivery deadline. They built them in record time to hit the deadline for that project. And that's a value story. That is a very powerful story if you're buying hundreds of millions of dollars of kit and your job or your you know your country depends on on that. Uh, infrastructure. And in fact, those stories were everywhere in that company. And I started to appreciate that this type of story really does help close the deal because there'll be a point in that stakeholder meeting when someone says, you know, can we trust these guys to deliver? And the people that have heard that story, your, your sponsor, for example, even if they don't tell that story, their tone of voice and their behavior will indicate that they're entirely confident that you're going to deliver that project. And that's worth a lot. Because we were more interested in building new transformers than we were in suing the boat that we had every right to sue. We just wanted to get the the job over the line. That's the message. Correct. The client's outcome is the critical thing, right? And that's the message and, and that's gold. The final story is the teaching story. And this is where you need to teach your client how to get around difficult situations at the end. So what happens when you get that stakeholder meeting is quite often different people come into the project that maybe haven't been along for the whole project, particularly if it's a big deal. People like the CFO and other commercial and legal people 
who start raising all kinds of red flags about the project. And you need to be able to teach your sponsor how to get around these problems because the company here that really knows how to get around those issues is your company because you've sold this kind of system elsewhere. You've seen those problems before, but your client is only buying it once usually, right? So they haven't. So you need to, I call this the sales manager story. You need to teach them or your sponsor how to sell, how to get past these obstacles. And I'll give you a short example. When I was, I was actually was involved in selling a music download platform before there was a thing called an iPod. So this was in the mid 2000s. So, so it was a, it was a big technical ex- exercise and we were negotiating with a, a big media company. And we'd spent months and months working out the technical solution. And the, the business model was a revenue share. So we were going to take a cut. And we got to the final contract negotiation. And this new person came in as the chief negotiator. So we had, you can picture the room. We had like 10 of our guys down one side, all from overseas. Me there as kind of the local liaison, 10 of their technical people. And then this negotiator guy. And this guy just started treating it like, the hardest contract negotiation you can imagine. And he tore the price apart and the scope and he demanded quality con- measures that we couldn't hit. And And I came out of the first meeting pretty convinced that we weren't going to make a deal. And, and when I got back to our office, one of our more senior sales guys looked at me and he saw something was wrong and, and he asked me what had happened. I said, look, yeah, I think we can't, we can't close that deal and explain what had happened. And he said, Mike, um, why don't you just ring him up and go and meet him, have a chat? And I hadn't even thought of the possibility, you know, And but I did. I rang him up. I went over to his office in the headquarters and we spent two hours and I realized that he had no clue what he was negotiating. He hadn't been at all briefed properly on what it was. He didn't understand the revenue share. He didn't understand the whole model. And the interesting thing is when we got back on the next negotiation meeting, he didn't change his character one bit. He was still all bluff and he was angry and he was throwing a tantrum and all this, but he very carefully skirted around all the non-negotiable issues that I'd explained and we closed the deal a couple of meetings later. And that's a good example of a teaching story because you can teach your client sponsor how to get around difficult people in their organization, for example. And there are other styles of these kind of stories, but just to show you what can be done with stories. So just quickly before we wrap it up, Mike, if you've convinced our listener and they're sitting there thinking, I want to tell stories, there are stories in me and I enjoy hearing them, so why don't I tell them more often? What are some traps for young players, for people who are just beginning the process of becoming a good storyteller? What sort of mistakes are they likely to make? The functional mistakes, the telling, you know, they might start with a time and place but then stop telling it as a sequence of events and just start hitting facts. As soon as your story becomes a set of facts, it's no longer a related sequence. So it's not a story. So you've got to find a way to get the facts into the story. So that's the first thing. It's almost like, just on that one, it's almost like people can chicken out. You you, you see people chicken out of telling a story. I don't know if you see this where they say, I want to tell a story, and they get partway through it, they think, God, I'm standing in front of a group of people telling a story. So then they just, as you say, hit the facts because that's safe. Yeah, so th- th- that's correct. So generally what happens for the listener is time stands still. 
What happens for the teller is it seems to take forever. So, and I've told four stories. We haven't been going that long. They probably took two, two and a half minutes. To you, they probably didn't seem to take long, right? So, it's one of those things where you need a little bit of guts to just do it in a meeting. But, but I would, I would counsel people to first have, I use video messaging a lot. The beauty, I use WhatsApp actually. The beauty of video message is you record your story as a video message initially just for yourself. Because if you use WhatsApp, it's got a little playback button. You can just play it back and listen to it yourself. And it tells you how long it is. If it's going over three minutes, you've probably got a problem. So you can try find ways to shorten it. And then when you're happy with it yourself, you just send it to one of your colleagues and you say, what do you think? And if they like it, they'll tell you. And if they don't, they'll give you some suggestions. So it's worth, you know, rather than make mistakes on your client, why not just have a little practice internally, right? And then when you think, yeah, people like that story, now have a go at telling it to a client. And then just listen for the response. Listen for how they react to that. You'll be very surprised. It's, it's usually very positive. It's a great place to end it. Mike Adams, author of Seven Stories, it's been an absolute pleasure to have a chat. Thank you, David. And if people would like the book, it's still on sale on Amazon. Just do a Google for the, for the book name. You'll find it. And that was Mike Adams. What do you think? Do you tell the right stories? Do you even tell stories at all? We all know about the power of storytelling. If only from our experience as listeners, they really work. They connect us. Is it time for you to become a better storyteller? As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Mike on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud or LinkedIn and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now. Bye for now.